Hi, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Lauren. Our pronouns are she, her. This is Demyth Turns the Page. Our special episodes where we keep the lights off and we stay awake. We definitely stay inside the building. And we play the midnight game with Cynthia Murphy. So, Cynthia, are you ready to play? No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I would never play the midnight game. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Please introduce yourself to our listeners. I am Cynthia Murphy. I'm an author of young adult horror and thriller fiction from Manchester in the north of England. And what kind of books do you like to read? I'll pretty much read anything. Um, but the last couple of years, I've kind of struggled to read, which has been really sad because it was always like one of my greatest pleasures. I don't know if it's being a writer now that's made it harder or I don't know if it was COVID. Um, I don't know. But I really like audiobooks because I like to be able to do something, walk the dog or tidy up and, and listen to an audiobook. So I like a lot of nonfiction, normally kind of creepy nonfiction. And at the minute I'm listening to... It's meant to be Nosferatu, but it's N-O-S-4-A-2, I think. Um, and that's by Joe Hill, who is Stephen King's son. And it was recommended to me by Kat Ellis. And it's just one of the best things I've listened to in years. It's absolutely amazing. So I'm excited that I've found somebody now that I'm excited to go back and kind of have a look at their back catalogue and see what else they've done. He's done a really, really cool comic book series called Lock and Key, which is now a TV show. Was that him as well? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I've watched that. And then I know he did Basket Full of Heads. I think that's one of his, but I've not read that either yet. I've um, only read Lock oh, and Key, cool. but it's, I I love it. I haven't watched the TV show yet. My dad keeps going on. It's like, have you watched it yet? It's like, no, I have a lot of things to do. It's on my list. But yeah, I it was recommend good. the comic book, definitely. And... What is it that's drawn you to sort of writing creepy horror thriller type books? I always loved them as a kid. Um, I grew up reading point horror. So I, yeah, I am late 30s, grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s. And they were just, I just read them all. I just loved them. They were so fast. They were like a different, you know, it was America, teenagers, cheerleaders, all of this stuff that was so kind of foreign to us. And because we didn't have the internet, we'd only seen little snippets of these things maybe on TV. Um, And I used to be obsessed with Buffy. So that all slotted in quite nicely together. So I always liked horror. It was always like my go-to genre. Um, And then after a few failed attempts at writing books, I kind of thought, well, what would I like to read? And what would I like to do? And I thought, I'd like to write a point horror. I think I could have a go. So that's where the first book came from. It was like my stab at a point horror, but 2000 style. Point horror is definitely a book of my, they're definitely books of my younger years. I loved, oh, I loved Goosebumps and then got into point horror, sort of graduated up. But yeah, they were, they were so good. They were brilliant. No, not so brilliant now when you read them back. (laughs) I mean, they are, they're still really good, but definitely some questionable, uh, (laughs) things that you wouldn't get away with saying now I don't think they're very 90s they are very very 90s yeah everyone's white and straight and Mm. you know cisgender it's the taglines on them as well they were the best (laughs) they were so rubbish 
They were so good. I've got a shelf of them up here, but um, Trick or Treat is the best one. And it's the one that everybody remembers because it's so rubbish. Um, <laughs> trick or Treat, Trick or Treat. Candy is dandy, but murder is meat. <laughs> it's just so bad. I think it's so bad that it's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we have the Midnight Game, which is why you're here to talk to us tonight. And how did you decide to write it in the style that you did? Because obviously there's prose, but then you have the forums, which I loved the fact that it was called Deadit and yes. <laughs> clearly inspired by uh, another forum that <laughs> we may I lurk upon. I sue me, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also the news articles and then there's the text messages. How did you decide to write in that that style? I think it came quite early on. I'd always wanted to do a bit of a mixed media thing. And my last two books kind of remove the internet slightly. So in the first one, the girl breaks her phone. In the second one, there's no internet at the school that they're at unless they have like special permission. And then this one, I thought, well, I want to lean into it the other way because it's creepypasta, which of course is, you know, an internet staple. You wouldn't have creepypasta without the internet. And of course, while I was looking up these things, I landed on several Reddit forums where I was reading these stories And I thought that would be a really good way to drip in information that our reader can know about and then our characters don't know about, because that's the the hard balance. And I knew quite early on I wanted to do all the different points of view as well. It was lots and lots of list keeping, um, you know, writing down dates, times, what I'd said in each part, just to make sure I didn't trip myself up. And yeah, I thought it would just be a really nice way to make it flow. A couple of kind of teenagers have come up to me at at schools and stuff when I've done visits and said I'm dyslexic but I found your books really easy to read and that's a massive compliment to me because there's nothing worse than not being able to access something so part of the thinking was also you know people are so used to reading internet threads now or reading text messages or chains of messages that if I got that in there would that break it up a little bit for people and make it slightly easier to digest um and easier to put down you know, if you need a break, you can kind of, the chapters are a bit shorter, you can leave it. And then when you pick it back up again, you're not right in the middle of a chapter or right in the middle of a, you know, a long, boring plot point that that gets dragged out. That is a really good point as well. Like being able to put it down and then dip in and out for some people, because a lot of people maybe can't sit down and, or don't necessarily have time or the attention span to sit in long chunks of time so actually yeah it does flow it flows but you can also dip in and out of it yeah and I think now especially like in the age that we live in just everybody's so busy you know social media is quite a big time suck and to have something that yeah you can dip in and out of and it doesn't feel like a chore hopefully to read it our next question was supposed to be would you play (laughs) so why why wouldn't you play (laughs) so I love horror stuff and I love films and I love the books and everything but I really really hate the real life scenario games you know like people who pay on Halloween to go to a big cornfield and be chased around by somebody who's dressed as Michael Myers with a chainsaw it's like Charlotte was saying before um or Lauren was saying sorry I don't trust anybody enough that oh no it was Charlotte wasn't it yeah don't trust anybody enough playing yeah to not think that they're going to do something awful like I believe everybody in those masks 
has the potential to just snap and really, you know, become the murderer. And that's so terrifying. And I hate them. And I hate waxworks, anything that looks like it's going to spring to life. It's just really scary. So I think I put myself in that situation of, well, what would I not do? And then I kind of allow it to play out in writing rather than actually having to go and do it. I mean, the book is, it's not scary, but it's hella creepy. Creepy. (laughs) And I felt tense reading it. And I don't feel like that very often. But yeah, it made me feel tense. Good. (laughs) I think tense is good. I think they're the best. Because now, like like I said, I watch a lot of horror films and stuff. So I'll see a twist come in or, you know, you know which character is going to die first or it's quite hard to make it scary. But it's those films when your shoulders are bunched up and you're so tense watching it. The first one I think of is World War Z, the zombie film with Brad Payne. Mm, yeah. And I remember the first time watching that film and I was just, every single time something happened, I was so, so tense because you know, the danger was coming from everywhere and you didn't know who to trust or who would turn next or what would happen. So I quite like trying to recreate that sense of dread. I think for me, one of the things that really added to that was the fact that you had these multiple points of view and all the different kind of medias, because you're knowing things at different times than the characters are. And also you'll see what's going on with the character and then be snatched away. Like you're so close to seeing something. I'm thinking of May in particular. And it's just, it's like, no, but we're so close to knowing. And now I have to wait to know. And that that tension is, oh, it was good. Yeah. I think that was the nice thing about all the different points of view. Because there was many times when I was worried that that wouldn't work. But it is a good a good device for kind of like you said snatching you away it's it's that bit in a film where the camera starts to follow somebody else and you're thinking mm. well what's just happened over there and when you're doing it from a first person point of view that's you can't do that so this was the first time I'd kind of done third person multi-POV because it ended up being seven points of view because of course then I introduced Alice as like a, a backstory in the last couple of parts Before we get into the actual book as well, I want to touch on the cover really quickly. Just it complements your other two books so well with the pink and the blue on like a dark background. And I just I think that's really cool that they're not a series, but you can see that they sort of belong together. Yeah, my design is really cool. And they always ask for a little bit of input. And he's got like the the first the three books, the cover comes from like an initial scene in each of the books, which is really cool. So he just does a really good job. And it, it's, nice, it's nice to be kind of branded that you can pick up a book and maybe know it's a Cynthia Murphy book just based on the colour scheme. Was your cover designer creeped out by the book as well? <laughs> I don't know, actually. You know what? I've never actually spoken to him properly. It always comes between, so he will speak to my editor and then I'll speak to my editor. So I just get sent pretty things that he's done and then I always thank him in the acknowledgements, but I've never actually met him. You should ask your editor. It'd be interesting to know. Yeah, it would actually. I do often wonder how it would feel to be presented with a book cover and not like it. Like, what would you do? Yeah, I don't know. I've been really lucky so far. The first one, I just didn't know what way they were leaning. Um, Because my original title was Creeper, and it's got a lot of Victorian folklore. So in my 
my head, there was like a, a shadowy figure and maybe a Victorian street lamp. But because it's contemporary and it's in the modern day and obviously it's marketed towards teenagers, they wanted something completely different and I just didn't know what it would be like. And I remember the day it arrived in my inbox, I was teaching online. It was mid-lockdown and um, it arrived in my inbox and I just cried. <laughs> it's perfect. And I, I hadn't seen it looking that way at all, but I was so happy. I do know people who haven't particularly liked their covers, but have either grown to like them or have turned around and said, no, I think we need to make these tweaks. But I actually think the new one is the best one yet. So I feel lucky. I like that it's quite subtle with the flame and the, I presume it's a woman in the flames. Yeah. And there's a figure behind uh, I think you see something slightly different every time you look at it. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a subtle one that, the more you look at it, the more you see different things. Yeah. Rules of the midnight game. Do not turn on the lights. Do not go to sleep. Do not leave the building. When a group who have met on a creepy deadit thread decide to meet in real life, they only have one plan in mind. They're going to summon the midnight man. And once you start the midnight game, you must finish it. There's no other way out. Six strangers, one night. But how many survivors? So we have May. She seems scared, but she's quite resourceful. Like she brings the hurricane lamp. You have Ellie, who's diabetic. We have Tony. And in my notes, my notes, I've written, what's her problem? (laughs) We have Hugo, we have Callum and we have Reese who are they're all very different I thought the the girls were more interesting than the boys but um how did you decide on having a group of six very different characters because obviously you've got each person's point of view did it get complicated the the characters that you had the six very different people so because I knew I wanted it to be like a closed locked room situation I needed enough characters where you would be suspicious of people but then not too many characters that it was going to be completely insane to try and keep up with because six was bad enough. So six seemed like a happy number and I knew I would kill most of them. So I knew that as it went on, we would kind of get less and less points of view. Um, Somebody actually, there was a bookseller reading a copy and she sent me a message and said, oh, well, I'm assuming everyone makes it because of all the different points of view. And I was like, oh, dear. Oh, no, (laughs) that's not going to happen. So, yeah, I had to kind of come to that happy number. And I quite like the idea of evenly spreading it between three boys, three girls, um, having very different characters. It was enough people to have very different characters without, like, repeating a type, if that makes sense. Because you you have to have a certain kind of stereotype just to make a character work, I think, just to get that image in somebody's head. So yeah, six just seemed to to be the magic number. And the characters, they all meet online on this forum that we've mentioned. They meet online prior to meeting in real life. Was it important to you that they were all strangers? We're not in the spoiler section yet, so uh, I'm going to do. <laughs> Was it important that they were strangers rather than acquaintances that already knew each other or a group that were already friends yeah definitely because everyone had like an element of some kind of secret whether it was quite an innocent one or whether it wasn't an innocent one um and then of course with what happens in the end 
and it works in, you know, or it would have worked in some people's favour that they are strangers and can just walk away from it at the end. Because um, I love writing about friendships, but I would hope that in that situation, if people were friends, they'd be looking out for each other. Whereas here, everyone just had a reason to kind of look out for themselves, you know, so they didn't have those ties that that would make it harder for me to separate them all. <laughs> And I guess also if they're friends, there's a whole extra level of betrayal, which probably shouldn't be involved in a young adult book. <laughs> if well, already- yeah, I mean, I mean, well, I don't know. My second book, that's quite bad. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think you get away with just a little bit more when they don't know each other, you know, because some of them are just presenting personas that they want everybody else to see, like yeah. trying it on for size. And they wouldn't get away with that in a friendship group. And then I think there'd, there'd be like another 20,000 words of dialogue in a friendship group, wouldn't there? You know, talking about why have you made me come and do this? And But I did get the friendship element in later, but in a slightly different way. Yeah. And so you created this online forum, Dead Air. The name just killed me. It was brilliant. And it's so full of creepypasta references and these creepy games that they all shared with each other. Are any of these games real? And I mean, real as in the sense that someone else had made them up, not real as in there's actual demon summoning, because (laughs) (laughs) because it's like the 11 Wild Game, Three Kings. So I found all those games on the internet, um, and then I just wrote out my own version of the instructions. So I kind of read them in several different places. There's a website called The Ghost in My Machine, I think it is. And they um, they published a little book of, it's called something like Scary Games You Shouldn't Play or Scary Games <laughs> to Play in the Dark or something like that. And that's what I was reading when the kind of idea popped into my head. Um, so it was quite fun doing those sections because I wanted, I mean, they come in slightly at the end, but I wanted to really delve into that kind of creepy pasta stuff and like well the searching for a game for more players to play so you know it was just a nice little excuse to kind of talk about them are there any that you would play no especially not the the little horror goblin one um the one where you like cut open a fluffy teddy bear and fill it with rice and then put it in the bath so it chases you around the house it also seemed really convoluted like I'd forget half of the instructions yeah I think that's half of it with these games it's like if you do anything wrong you must stop immediately it's like you would do something wrong straight away you know the one where you set up the mirrors and like your friend has got to sleep outside and then wake you up at a precise time and then they've got to come back to you at a precise time I'm like that friend would definitely fall asleep it's like (laughs) half four in the morning so are you just going to be sucked into the mirror? Like, what's going to happen there? The 11 mile game, I was like, why wouldn't you just drive really fast? Just drive really super <laughs> fast and then and then you'd be done in like two minutes. <laughs> I think that's my favourite one because it's the kind of one that I can see a gang of teenagers climbing into a car and just freaking each other out, you know, just absolutely they're like we're on the third mile don't open the windows and then you get the one in the back going no there's something outside and everyone just completely freaking out I think that could be a really good story (laughs) the 
the creepy goblin one as you described it so one man hide and seek that for me was the creepiest one because it reminded me of a story that i was told as a kid that gave me nightmares about this girl that dropped a doll or something on the stairs she wasn't allowed to go pick it back up and this doll then went and killed nope her and her family <laughs> and she, it was like she could hear it like talking to her and where I used to stay at my nan's you couldn't see the whole room like the door was behind a bit of wall and it I had such bad nightmares so reading oh. that I was like absolutely <laughs> not did did the doll kill everyone because it was dropped or was it going to kill everyone anyway I think it's because it was dropped and left. I don't know. I was probably about seven or eight when I was told this story. Like I wasn't looking for plot holes, but that, <laughs> that game, honestly, no. I mean, it would scare me now and I'm definitely not seven or eight. Yeah, <laughs> that, you can like hear the little pitter patter of feet, can't you? Of it like running after you with a big knife. <laughs> I don't want to. I, Where and I have cats, so I hear the pitter patter of cats running around, let alone... <laughs> No. How did how did it open the drawers? I mean, this is so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that was that was horrible. I did not like that one at all. It's funny because I've got the the toy really clearly in my head um, of what kind of toy little horror goblin is, and it's you know those little sack voodoo dolls yeah. with like the stitched button eye, and that's what it yeah. is in my head, and it's just one of them like running around. Oh no! Or like Sack Boy <laughs> from um, yeah, yeah, Little Big Planet. Oh no! <laughs> but with all stitches and yeah, I'll merchandise it one day if it ever <laughs> gets picked up somewhere. Oh, was Charlotte for my birthday. I do not want one. <laughs> no, I'm just putting that out there now. If this is merchandised ever. <laughs> I'm all for supporting you, <laughs> Cynthia, but not with that. <laughs> I'll buy your Fair books. Enough. I'm not buying the little horror goblin. Absolutely not. No, thank what you. What if one just lands on your doorstep one day? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to leave. I'd be terrified. <laughs> but I think if, if I threw it away, I'd be scared it was going to come back and get me. So I, don't, I couldn't win. I'd have yeah. to maybe try and like befriend it and appease it. Is it in True Blood where they keep trying to throw the doll away and it just keeps turning up? I think it's True Blood. No, I don't know. I stopped True Blood when she turned into a fairy. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I was done then. (laughs) That was bullshit. But um, yeah, I think they keep keep trying to throw this doll away and it just keeps... It sounds like it's one of those tropes, isn't it? You know, just, yeah, keeps coming back. That, That is horrible. Little horror goblin was was not was not good, <laughs> but with all these games that they discussed, they decided to play the midnight game. And why did you choose for them to meet in a school to play? I was a teacher for 10, 11 years, um, and schools after dark are really creepy places, especially when you're on your own. So I had a few incidents where you know you just you just work in a bit later than normal maybe and you know people have kind of cleaned up around you and all the lights are off and you've got to navigate your way out of the building you know in the winter when it's like dark at four o'clock and it's really it's they're really scary they should be full of like laughter and you know noise and and kids and when they're empty especially one that I used to work in used to be um an old law court which the one in the book is um yeah it's an old law court isn't it is 
not legally, but maybe loosely based on. <laughs> but yeah, it was, you know, you could just see it being haunted and it did have these old cells in and, and you know, it had this big stage that used to be where the, the judge would stand and, oh, it was just so creepy after dark. So I thought, what a better place to set something. And also it's one of those places that you kind of, um what's the word like you know in your gut that you shouldn't be there you know it's a school it's it's somewhere that you shouldn't be if you're not at school it's somewhere you shouldn't be after dark and also it's somewhere big enough that you can wander around and around and around without bumping into people necessarily because the midnight games meant to be played in a house but I was like how do you walk around I couldn't walk around my house for three and a half hours I'm done in like five minutes (laughs) I'm done when I'm timing my toothbrush for two minutes and have a little wander around. (laughs) So three and a half hours, just no. So yeah, it all just slotted together quite nicely. If if you, I know you've said that you wouldn't play, but if hypothetically somehow you played, what kind of building do you think would freak you out the most? Do you think it would be a school? Oh, I don't know. First one that popped into my head then was like an old warehouse. See, I work in a warehouse and not so much the one now. Well, the one now is a little bit, but the one I used to work in, when you turn the lights off, it would just be creepy. And we um, yeah. we had, so someone, I can't remember who brought it back, but there was a show done or some event done at the US Embassy and a cardboard Obama came back. So where my office was, there was like... <laughs> this um these windows that's the words use your word charlotte <laughs> right these windows and you would just see in the dark someone staring at you no it was oh, card- no. <laughs> it was cardboard obama but when it's that dark scary, you don't necessarily yeah. like in the corner of your eye you don't necessarily clock it mm. but now i work in another warehouse with another cardboard <laughs> person <laughs> Who's this one? well this one is i got it made of my manager for his 30th birthday I got a cardboard cutout made of him as a joke and we put it in my office and the person who sets all the alarms and comes around and he he checks all the emergency lighting he came he comes at night because obviously that's when everyone's out of the building and he can test everything and he didn't know that we had this so he just walked in and he sent my manager a text and was like yeah I didn't realize that there was a cardboard cutout of you in the office and it proper like shit me up I bet it did yeah my god I think it's because like you say they're they're normally full of noise and they're full of life and Mm. movement you know there's there's forklift trucks there's vans there's noise there's music there's chatter and then when there isn't you can just hear like birds on the roof or or and you they, and, breathing Ooh. and they can just be just really creepy yeah yeah I work in a casino we had a power cut a few months ago and there's no like windows or anything in casinos because I don't want people to see how dark it gets and it was so dark you you couldn't see anything and it was just people oh. walking around using their phone torches and it's like anyone could be hiding here that yeah. was that was pretty terrifying I think anywhere with hiding places would you know would work so there's the other bit where they play the game is an abandoned cinema yeah um, 
there was one up near us for years that we used to go to and then it was empty for ages and I saw all these pictures that an urban explorer had put up and oh so many places to hide like so scary we find out through the forum that the game was played a few months beforehand and ended up in the death of a girl so why would anyone want to play it after that or does that add to the mystique I think it definitely adds to it. And even though I am, you know, I am not going to play. Teenagers, and I say this as a, you know, someone who felt exactly like this was when I was a teenager, like you're invincible. Bad things aren't going to happen to you. Everything's just, you know, much more lighthearted and a bit of fun. And, you know, so I think there might be one or two people there who were like, mm, I'm not sure, but it's very easy to get swept up in, you know, in a, a bad idea, a good idea, and go along with with everybody else. And I think when you're a teenager as well, like you don't know your boundaries, you don't know when to say no. You don't know that it's okay to be rude to somebody if you don't feel safe. You know, you just don't know those things. So yeah, I think it would be very, very easy to brush the death of somebody aside because that's not going to happen to you. Because, you know, you're smarter than that or you're more invincible than that or you're braver than that. And they don't know her. And they don't know her. Yeah, it's not real, is it? It's just another story on the internet, essentially. So part of the ritual to summon the Midnight Man is to... So you write down your secret and you write down why you want to play the game. But So they pin up their names, but they keep their secret on them. Yeah. So why do they have to keep their secret on them and not pin up their secret as well? Because I made that bit up. <laughs> so pinning your name bit is part of like the online ritual. And then it wasn't in the first draft. And when I was chatting to my editor, she was like, so everyone has a secret. And we know that at the end, she was like, but do we need to make it more obvious that everybody there has got this secret? And, you know, can we build it in with the mythology somehow? So, yeah, I basically made that bit up. And, and then, you know, later on, as a plot device you find somebody's secret and it gives a little bit of something away and you know it's just there as exposition <laughs> just an info dump <laughs> one thing that we thought was really cool was that you have a character with diabetes and there are points where they talk about her blood sugar and needing to test and she has a lot of drinks with her for I assume for her blood sugar so was it important for you to include a character who had diabetes yeah I think I was a teacher for so long that you like, so I remember doing my teacher training and you got a case study of a kid who might have dyslexia or diabetes or ADHD. You had to write about how you would approach it. And we were sat there in a group and there's like six or seven of us and we've all got somebody different. And I remember the tutor then went, right, so that's your class. He said, those seven kids are in your class. That's just the way the world is. And it's true, like you, you have a class and there's so many different types of people in there, whether it's, you know, ability wise or whether it's culture wise or background wise. So I found it really important in everything I've written to try and have like a broad spectrum of people, not just, you know, everyone being white. And, you know, because I think when I was growing up, everybody was in books, you know, and you didn't, I didn't know at the time that that wasn't normal and realistic so I try really hard not to do it now so the diabetic girl came to me because in the last kind of two years of when I was teaching I had seemed to be about three or four kids within the same class over two years all got diagnosed as diabetic at the age of like 10 or 11 
and to watch them on this massive learning curve and have to learn to check their blood sugar, inject themselves, like monitor. I remember going on a residential and I had to read this book about carb counting so I could figure out what somebody would need for dinner in order to counteract what they'd done that day. And then if they would need insulin after it. And and I thought, this is exhausting. So these kids are doing this as well as just everything else. And some of them were really sporty. And, you know, some of them did loads of other activities. And I thought, you know, you get faced with something like this and you just get on with it because you've got no other option. And I really wanted to show a character who had something like diabetes and just got on with it. And actually, it didn't affect the fact that she's a bit of a badass and you know, it didn't make her unlikable that she had something different about her. So yeah, it felt like a really cool way to to kind of, I don't know, tell those kids that, you know, I saw how difficult it was and how hard you worked and how well you got on with things. So hopefully there's a teenager somewhere who might read it and go, oh, that's cool. And then move on. Like, because it's not a big deal. It's not a, you know, they're not there to be a hero. It's just like, oh, that's that's like me. And then move on telling diabetic teenagers that they too could play stupid games with strangers <laughs> yeah. off the internet exactly you too can <laughs> get locked in a room with you know three slightly idiotic boys who all want your attention <laughs> <laughs> but the rules of the game seem pretty simple i suppose keep your candle burning keep moving and if your candle burns out and you can't relight it just make a circle of salt to stand in don't leave the circle without a lit candle and don't go outside. So I guess that's not too difficult. But how much fun well, you would you think have so. making up these yeah. rules? Well, you would think so. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't make up most of them. Most of them came from like the the creepy pasta, like internet legends. It was quite fun giving them ways to break the rules. And thinking about, I felt like I wrote the word candle or wick like 8 million times. Um, But it has to be in there, you know, because they're kind of carrying it around. So, yeah, it was fun breaking the rules. It was, I mean, immediately, you know, there's a character who steps outside of the salt circle without a candle, which is like, you know, she should not be doing that. So I wanted to give that element of, you know, somebody looking at the page going, no. No, what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't do that. And then, of course, at the end of the chapter, that's exactly what they do. So I think it was, yeah, more bending the rules rather than making them up was the fun bit. For me, it was when it was that moment when the candle went out and it was kind of like them panicking to try and relight it. Where I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, like what's going to happen? And that's when I started to get really tense. Because when they're just walking around the school, it's it's creepy, but it's not. It's yeah. okay. It's like a false sense of security. You know, you think it's all fine. I think the um, when I was thinking about if somebody gave me 10 seconds in a creepy, dark situation to light a candle, would I be able to do it? No. It seems like a long time, but if you're shaking and all that stuff. Every time it happened, I was holding my breath every time. Even <laughs> even by the time I'm like, no, they're, they're clearly going light, to light it again. Nope, still holding my breath. And like you said, <laughs> it, it probably takes less than 10 seconds, right? When you If you were to light a candle now, you'd probably do it in one second but as yeah. soon as you're thinking about it and someone yeah. says to you and and some of them they started counting down yeah that was my favorite bit doing like the countdown in the background like how ominous <laughs> but, and obviously as soon as that happens then they start shaking more then they can't do it yeah and if you can't catch the match because you're not allowed a lighter so you know if your match doesn't work what I did were they allowed to use the other candles to light their candle or did it have to be a match? No, it had to be a match. I think there's actually a bit where 
um, I think it's Tony says, just use your candle. Just what are you doing? And she's like, well, I'm not, I'm not allowed. It's not in the rules. Because that's another thing, like if you don't follow the rules in that respect, is something bad going to happen? Well, I did. I'm going back to the multiple points of views. I did like how you created suspense because again, with each person, with what how they felt when they tried to relight the match, I I felt like I was with them. Please light your match, light your match, please. <laughs> I think and I think that did work because by the time you're in with each person, and especially if there was a character you weren't that fussed about, there's another one that you were, and you you want them yeah. to be, you know, you want them to do well. You want well, I wanted all of them to get out of there alive, but you know, you're in yeah. with each with each point of view, you want each person to do well. And when they are shaking or they're nervous, I think the multiple points of view makes it more suspenseful. Is that a word? It's probably not a word. No, I know what you mean. And um yeah, being able to leave people at certain points as well. You know, you might have four chapters where you've got no idea where such a body who something's just happened to them. We've not seen them for four chapters. Like what's going on there? That was a good way as well to have people be doing naughty stuff that they shouldn't be doing without us like seeing it happen or without people knowing that that person should be around and they're not at the minute. So it worked well for that. I really like to think if I was playing, which I wouldn't, but if I was, (laughs) I'd be like, it doesn't matter if I don't really like my candle because it's not real. But I think in that moment you get so swept up in it. Like you kind of forget that probably there's not a demon and probably (laughs) Nothing bad is going to happen to you because. But really, what if it does? Would it? Well, exactly. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? There's 99% of you that goes, "This is this is absolute tosh. I don't believe a word of it." But then there's that one percent that goes, "Well, the girl died. Yeah, Some, something happened to her." And, and fear is catching, isn't it? So all it takes is one person to be a bit like, "Oh no, oh no, oh no," and it, you know, it really catches, and you're in that dark environment and someone counting down yeah and your phones are all you know not there (laughs) you can't get in touch with anybody um you're in an unfamiliar place as well which not all of the characters are but most of them are you know they don't know the way around and the the school itself is a bit of a circle like you could walk around it all day in a big circle which is quite maddening isn't it especially when if you're trying to get out somewhere and you just keep ending up back in the same place This is the part of the episode where if you haven't read the book, blow out your candle and stay in the circle of salt until it's safe to leave or 3.33am, whichever is sooner, as we'll be discussing plot points and the ending. So obviously as the book carries on, we discover elements of the teenagers' real lives and we have May and I felt, this shows my age now, that I'm not a teenager, but I felt quite protective of her. I think because she's a lot younger and clearly the most yeah. frightened was she always going to be the youngest yeah she was always going to be the youngest she always had like a bit of something to prove either to herself or to somebody else like I don't think she really knew herself you know she just she was dead then and, and she was gen- genuinely interested in it all but yeah she was always going to be the baby and also when May's candle goes out she realizes that she left her bag in the library why on earth did they split up (laughs) because in every great horror movie there comes a point where somebody says 
I think we should split up now. <laughs> and no. I just had to get it in there. And no. it was no. it was too hard to get what I wanted done if they were all going to stick together because there's only six of them and they're in this closed environment. So they needed to split up. But of course, it's that brilliant moment where you go, no, don't do that. Don't don't that's, do that. Don't leave her on her own. Like, that's a that's silly ridiculous. idea. <laughs> mm. And then it's not actually written in there, but potentially she didn't actually leave her bag there. Because I don't think she'd be that forgetful. I did find it a bit odd because she's one who brought the hurricane candle glass very organized she was very organized and the first thing I wrote about her was that she's really resourceful and then she's left her bag in the library but I put it I then put it down to her age yeah no in my head somebody's snagged it at some point but um and she's not realized so yeah still a bit forgetful but I don't know if I ever actually wrote that in there or just trusting maybe yeah you know these are all her new friends as far as she's concerned which Moral of the story. <laughs> Do <laughs> not trust strangers anyone. off the internet. Yeah. If you were May, would you have followed the noise? So she hears a noise and she goes to investigate. So which means that she's left the circle of salt without a candle. Would you follow the noise? I don't know because she's kind of safe in the salt circle, but she has a massive freak out, doesn't she? So she really loses it um, to a point that I think scares everybody else. So I think she's that frightened that when she thinks that she hears a friendly voice, she's probably desperate to go and join up with everybody else, you know. So, yeah, I think if I was that scared and I thought that somebody friendly was there, then yes, I probably would. R.I.P. me. (laughs) I want to go back to splitting up for a second because (laughs) I don't like the idea of if I was in a group of people who I maybe didn't know I wouldn't want to split up but I also don't know if I'd want to say be with one other person looking because maybe if I was a teenager I wouldn't be thinking about it but certainly as an adult I'm I wouldn't necessarily trust person I was with yeah you just don't know no but again I think like teenagers maybe don't have that same worry bone that we have like as a grown-up and I know I would rather be with somebody, even if it was just to be able to grab them and throw them at the midnight man while I ran away. (laughs) So uh, I'd rather be with somebody than be walking around on my own. Oh, yeah. No. You make a good point there, actually. (laughs) Tony seems to fancy Hugo or there's something that's a bit weird there. And she really makes a beeline for him. And they end up kissing in the library. And we later see Tony, she doesn't say it, but she implies that she wasn't really willing to kiss him and that he kind of forced himself on her. So as Mm -hmm. readers, we know that it was the opposite, but Ellie doesn't because she walks in on something happening and she tries to defend Tony. And we then find out that Hugo previously got away with sexually assaulting a girl. Did Tony know this or was it just a lucky coincidence that the person that she picked a lie about had this secret that's a really good question I want to say that yes she did but no I don't think she did I think it was just her way of getting Ellie on side in you know that that awful way of like lying about something and then it it tied into what he did it was funny I had a lot of chats with my editor about keeping that in and we did edit it slightly but it was really important to me to have something in there about like implied consent 
Because mm. I think, especially as a teenage girl, like every single girl or woman that I know, unfortunately, would have a story to tell you about somebody doing something to them that was not invited or they didn't want. So I kind of wanted that element in there that he had done it and then he had realised after it was wrong. Because I think as well, being a teenage girl in like the 90s, there was probably a lot of lads who did stuff like that because they just thought it was okay. Nobody had told them that it wasn't okay. So I kind of wanted to get that in there just as a a personal, like, you know, bugbear of, you know, maybe somebody will pick this book up one day and go, all right, okay, so that's not okay, fine. But Tony's just a horrible, horrible person. So, you know, the fact that she, like you said, she doesn't say it, she doesn't say anything happened, but she kind of lets Ellie believe that, Hugo took advantage when he shouldn't have done. And she needs to get Ellie on side. So I think it's more, it's less that she knew what he'd already done. And it's more that, you know, she wants to get this girl who seems quite level-headed and seems to get on with everybody. She needed her on her side because obviously what happens next is they completely turn on her. So she needed that element of trust and maybe slightly of distraction. I wondered as well if she was a little bit jealous because Hugo obviously fancies Ellie. Definitely. Mm. And I wondered if Ellie maybe thought Hugo was cute. I won't go as far as say he, she probably fancied him, but she seemed yeah. a bit interested. She, there were points where she was like, oh, we could we could spend time together in this creepy school. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there's even a line in there somewhere where somebody said, oh, I thought he liked you. And she was like, yeah, so did I. And then that they don't really talk about it anymore. But yeah, definitely there's, you know, God, I was a nightmare when I was a teenager. Like any boy who looked at me, I'd be like, oh. Um, <laughs> so I can completely see her being miffed when the attention goes elsewhere, you know. And who hit Callum in the head in the stairwell? It was Reese. Okay. Um, so the way the school works, there's that central staircase, and then there's like a staircase on either end. So I had a spreadsheet which told me where every character was at like a certain, those bits where they split up. I was like, how do I give such body enough time to go and do, you know, whatever. So he had gone up to that top corridor where the art room was, where May ended up dying. And the art room is opposite the stairwell that Callum was coming up. So he would have had time to nip down, give him a whack and then run back up. That leads me to the reason I would not play this game. I mentioned it before we started recording. It's not because it's creepy as hell and I do not do horror. I don't do horror at all. <laughs> but it's because I don't trust strangers. I, I yeah. don't. And it's not necessarily that I don't trust them not to murder me. I mean, that's kind of a given. I kind of hope that people don't murder <laughs> me. It's more that like even just the thing that, you know, you may hears voices and she goes to follow the voices. Like I don't trust the people I'm with not to try and wind me up by making those noises yeah and like have they all just left the room to go and talk about playing a massive trick on me that would be my first thought I think yeah but my point is proven when they when May is murdered yeah we discover as she's dying she's like yeah it's actually it wasn't the midnight man it's it's one of them so was the killer always going to be who it is or did you play around with who it might be I didn't really know when I started off. And initially, I think I was just going to have one. So it was just going to be Reese. And then I listened to a couple of podcasts and I ended up reading something about Folliadder, which is the the madness of two, where, you know, when you two people who get together and go on a killing spree together. And it's 
it's rare, but you know, because when you you watch these programs and you go, when did they get to the point in their relationship where they had that conversation? When did that happen? You know, and and these things do happen. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting way to do it. I wonder that all the time. You're like, at what point do you just go, actually, I'm really into this? Yeah, and oh, and how often do people go? No, I'm not. Like, how many of those times have to happen before someone goes, oh, me too? Or do you um, think, do you think like that they kind of bring it out bit by bit and, and test the waters until maybe? And I think like the internet makes it much easier because you're just an anonymous person if you want to be. So you can say these things. And if someone gets freaked out, then, you know, off you go. Yeah, I found that really fascinating. And it gave me the chance to play around with having two buddies who could be in different places at different times um you know setting different people up essentially it's very scream isn't it yeah well scream's my favorite film yes i haven't seen it so i i presume <gasps> that i presume oh there are God. two killers from what you're saying <laughs> yeah i mean i'm hoping that's not a spoiler like 30 years later <laughs> but, um I've, I've not seen it but not it's, quite it's okay. years, i'm not that old <laughs> i'm not i'm not gonna watch it it's fine <laughs> yeah I it's am, a really good reveal, actually. I am going to send you pictures though when we finish of Skeet Ulrich in that film because he, oh my god, he's... no, you you already have, <laughs> have I? Yeah, okay, because good. we started watching Riverdale and he's in Riverdale and you were like, oh, he's he in is. Scream. I and love the Riverdale. He's so yeah. hot though. Now and then, if you yeah, I'd be better now, yeah. If you stopped watching True Blood when she became a fairy, please tell me you stopped watching True Blood when they brought the aliens in because that's ridiculous. There are there are they had aliens in True Blood. No, sorry, in Riverdale. I, are there actually though? Because if I, oh, I don't got... know, I stopped watching it. No, I don't. No, they weren't aliens. No, oh, the Mothmen it... were they not aliens? I haven't gotten that. I haven't finished that. Season, oh, actually. so oh, that whole season was just insane. No, it was I... something got to do with time travel. Oh no, yeah, see, can't be asked for that. But no, it, I thought it was brilliant. Like they just the writers must have just gone. What else can we do? Like, and someone went, whatever you want. And they've just absolutely <laughs> gone nuts because now it's gone back to the 50s. Watch. I know. I've not seen It's not out yet. Oh, I love it. They've got away with so, like, people are like, what's happened? And the writers are there rubbing their hands together. <laughs> don't care. Don't care. Lauren and, I, fortune. Lauren and I send each other memes of how ridiculous Riverdale is. <laughs> it is. I love it so much. <laughs> I'm still on the Mothman season. I haven't finished that season yet, but I just love it when there's a new character and if they've got a ridiculous name, it's like, of course, of course yeah. they do. Well, my um, my little nephew is six and his elf came to visit for December. Aww. And he has had the elf for like two or three years. And my sister named it Jingle Jangle. <laughs> having never seen Riverdale. And my niece, who I think was about 13 at the time, turned around and went, Mom. That's the drug in Riverdale. <laughs> it's like the worst name ever for a drug. It's much more suited to an elf. <laughs> it is. Oh, bonding over Riverdale makes me just endlessly happy. <laughs> so we discover that Reese killed May, but we also discover that Tony and Reese are a couple and they murdered this girl that we know died a few months ago in a game. Why did they pick her specifically? Because they seemed to go through a lot of effort from all of the online stuff that we have seen to get her to go to that party. They seemed to pick her specifically. I think it was a bit of happenstance. So when um, when that thread starts, so that character is called Alice and she is arranging a Halloween party 
and it's in an old abandoned cinema and she wants um, like a creepy game to play. And she's just on this forum and Reese is on the forum. And I think he just thinks, well, this is something that I would like to do. And this seems like a really great time to go and do it. So he actually adds Tony into the chat and, you know, Tony befriends this girl through private messages and they end up going to the party. And I think at the party, like everyone drifts off as happens, you know, people are going out, everyone's dressed up, people have had enough in the in the cinema, so they want to go out to town or whatever. And I think they very much stay with her, you know, her new friends. And they're like, no, it's fine. We'll still play. We'll do it together. And everyone drifts off and, you know, um, they've just kind of got themselves in the perfect little scenario. And they've got this poor trusting girl who just thinks that they're nice people who are there for, for a bit of fun. Um, they are. And then once they've done it once, they realise they can do it again. But they are there for a bit of fun. Just Well, yeah, just specific, specific very specific fun. Yeah. <laughs> And why did Reese kill May as early on as he did, do you think? Do you think he was getting bored or he saw a good opportunity? I think he saw the opportunity. So the bit where he splits up from Callum and he goes upstairs and she's there on her own and, you know, there's nobody around. I think he's just, you know, bloodthirsty and that's his moment. He sees the opportunity and she's so young and he probably knows he can trick her into following him. And then the junior hacksaw comes out. Why did he admit it so quickly? Because he was very much like, yeah, it was me. I did it. I think because he had that thing of like, so cocky, no one's going to survive. Like, let me tell you all about my genius. You know, like that moment in a film where the villain is like, couldn't allow me for 10 minutes to tell you my whole backstory. I think, yeah, he was like, it's like bragging. It's like, I've got you all here and this is what I'm going to do. And that's it it's tough it happens in real life with like real criminals as well yeah, because they, they're narcissistic yeah you know a criminal they just they escalate and they don't believe they're going to get caught and then that's how they do get caught because they get careless yeah and they think they're cleverer than everybody else we also find out that ellie's best friend alice is the girl that was murdered by reese and tony is that why it was so important for her to play this game yeah, like we find out later on that um, Ellie should have been there with her and couldn't be. And I think she's living through some guilt because even though this has kind of been ruled a suicide, Ellie doesn't believe it. She didn't see the signs. And I think even, you know, people who do complete suicide, you know, people will often say, but they were fine and I didn't see the signs. And, you know, and I think she's really beating herself up about, did she do it? And I was a best friend and she didn't speak to me about it. And then we find out later that she'd like sent us some messages and, you know, the guilt over those messages must have been, you know, was that her crying out for help? Did she need me? Should I have been there? And I think it's Ellie's way of being like, right, well, how did she feel? And this is the only way she can think of putting herself into Alice's shoes at kind of, you know, in her last day on earth. Like, well, I'll go and do the same thing. I have my own opinions about this next question, but I'm curious what you think or what your opinions are. So Tony ends up separated from Reese after so they've left unconscious and injured Callum and Ellie. Tony then starts to hear voices and after some kind of struggle, she ends up falling off of the balcony. Do you think, like I said, I have my own opinions. 
But do you think <laughs> if she hadn't died, she could have redeemed herself? I mean, no, but <laughs> no, no, she needed to. She needed a comeuppance. It, that was so satisfying to be able to just give her a comeuppance. No, not a chance. She, I think the way I tried to write that scene is, she's like, well, nobody has to know that. I did anything. I could say that I was just trying to help it. Like she's got no remorse whatsoever through the whole thing. And I was trying to make that quite clear that she was just like, I can get out of this. I can make sure that only Reese gets in trouble for it. So no, she, she might've got away with it. She might've been, you know, sly enough, but definitely wouldn't have redeemed herself. No chance. This is again, a thing with, I'm really into true crime. So I know stuff, but there are pairs of real life serial killers where one of them is just like, I didn't do anything. I didn't know. Yeah. And Tony's very much that. Yeah. I didn't hold the net. You know, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I was just there. I just helped set it up. Um, Yeah, she's very much that. I thought it was just a game. I didn't know he was actually going to do that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's at least what either what she tells herself or what she would end up telling the police. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. made me. Yeah, that's another. I mean, and I think we see that with the Hugo incident. She'd very quickly turn around and say, oh, well, you know, he was holding me to ransom. He was abusing me and I had to do it. She was just a nasty piece of work. Whereas like Reese obviously did awful things, but he was he was very honest about it. He's like, yep, I came here to do this. Yeah. This was my intention. I'm seeing this through. Whereas with Tony, it's very much like, oh, I didn't know that this was going to happen. Despite yeah. the fact that I've set it all up and I've put everyone in place and I've wound Reese up to the point where he's going to kill someone. Yeah. And also like she needed the attention in that respect. Yeah. Because she, you know, she seems very jealous of Ellie getting the attention from Hugo. Despite yeah, the fact even she, does, though she doesn't like She Hugo. doesn't really like. Yeah, exactly. She just doesn't like it. And and there's a bit where um, it says that, like, I don't normally dress like this. So she's dressed like Alice was. So it's like mimicking what happened last time. So she's got that, like, dark element of, you know, you don't feel remorse if you go and dress up as the girl that you killed a few months ago. So, yeah. (laughs) There's a line in the book that Reese and Tony evaded the Midnight Man previously when they killed Alice because they used false names. And we see at the beginning of the book that Reese he slips up and he gives his real name. But why did Tony go along with it and give her real name? Why didn't she just give a fake name again? I think because there is that element of like wanting to please and following his lead. Um, you know, she's very much second fiddle. She's not she's not the main instigator. So I think when he did that, she was like, oh, well, that's what I should do as well. You know, almost can't think for herself in that respect. We end the book on the anniversary of Alice's death. Ellie and Callum, they're now together and they're talking. They have a conversation in the car and they say the wish, you know, they wish the others were still alive. They find some cards with all the all the games on and they decide to play the 11 mile game. <laughs> and they choose this because it's the one where they get a wish at the end. If they make it through to the 11 miles, they get 
get a wish and they want to bring back Alice, May, Hugo. Is that not pushing their luck? Because they've already, <laughs> they've survived one. Uh, like, may, again, maybe it's a teenage thing to think, well, obviously we've done one, we'll survive another. But I would think, yeah, yeah let's leave the luck where it is. <laughs> yeah, so would I. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely a thing of, well, if that one worked, then surely one of these should work. And if we just have to go through that, like it doesn't seem as bad as the midnight game, you know, there's no one chasing you. If we can do that, then could we potentially bring someone back? I would love to do it where someone came back wrong, Ooh. like a short story or something where it works, but the person's just or they not want, right. They didn't want to be back and they're like, why did you bring me back? Yeah, like Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> or like, um, oh, what's his name in American Horror Story where he gets brought back in the which in the coven one? Oh, the oh, Evan Peters. That's it. Yes. Yeah. But he's I don't just, remember what his character name is. No, but he's just not right. No. Is that the one where he's chopped up? Yes. And they're like Frankenstein him back together. Yeah. Yes. You are not selling this show to me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, if you're not a horror fan, then you know, it's gory. I think it, it's good though. It's really, I think it's really good up until the point where it just takes it a little bit too far sometimes. Like the Asylum one was so good till they brought aliens into it. And it's like, oh, if you just left it. I've not seen that one. Oh. Yeah, I've kind of picked and chosen which ones I've watched. So I've watched Coven. Um, I watched the original, the first season. And I've watched Roanoke. No, you need to watch the hotel. Well, I just I want to watch it just for Lady Gaga. She is fabulous in it. It's I yeah I loved Hotel. Hotel was good. I'll watch that next then. I can't imagine Charlotte watching it though. There's nothing about it that interests me. Even Evan <laughs> Peters. Yeah, but I can watch other things that he's in. Well, like Dharma. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> yeah, that was good as well. Actually, that was really good. But that's not mm. horror. That's like that's creepy and it's almost true crime but it's not no he's not hot yeah. in it he's not no, hot in it no true. and he's also playing a gay character like he wouldn't be interested in me anyway <laughs> although <laughs> although have you seen that there are women in america who are obsessed with Je- jeffrey Dahmer because on dark tourist the the host was like you know he was gay right and he wouldn't have fancied you but they're just they're just in love with him yeah, I think there there's people like that about every serial killer, which is it's Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's That's a prop- the kind of character she is. Yeah, there's a proper name for it as well. I'm gonna have to Google what it is. It's something that I wouldn't remember to be able to pronounce, but they're just like, mm, get me some of that. I know. Well, it's like Ted Bundy like got married. Oh, there was people like swooning over him when he was being on trial what? for murdering loads of women. Like ridiculous. Here we go. Hybristophilia is a sexual interest in and attraction to those who commit crimes. I don't think Ted Bundy's the worst because he's kind of good looking. <laughs> but Richard, well, wasn't, Richard Ramirez. But wasn't Ted Bundy meant to be really charming like in real life? I say, yeah. In, yeah, that's how he got a lot of his victims because he was meant to be quite charming. So I can kind of see why. It's scary, isn't it? But it's But then some of them you're like, well, not only are they not attractive, they were either not interested in you, and then on top of that, they're a serial killer. Like, just no. I think Richard Ramirez is one of the worst. He's so unattractive. It's and apparently he was really stinky. You know, like just didn't wash and 
was just horrible. It's nice to know there is someone for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming and talking to us about something that has creeped us both out so much. (laughs) It's been so nice. It's the first time I've kind of dissected the plot with anybody since I wrote it because obviously it's not out yet so I always love talking to people when they've read it and getting their opinions and thank you we just love the fact that we can like message each other this this stuff and then talk to you about it like Charlotte messaged me about why would they do it it's like oh they're teenagers they feel (laughs) invincible but stupid stuff like the fact that I wouldn't play this because I wouldn't be able to prick my finger and draw blood like we can talk about (laughs) this this just bonkers stuff I was like that's that's the bit right? You wouldn't want a pinprick of blood. Not the fact that you could potentially summon a demon or (laughs) be locked in a school that you don't know listening. And also the shadows in the school, the the noises with with five other strangers who could potentially end up killing you. And guess what they do? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, for a bit of a spoiler, I was never going to save Callum. It was just, it was meant to only be Ellie. Oh, really? The final girl. Yeah. Well, I, and then I, I got I, to like him so much. I thought there was going to be only one because at the beginning of the book, there's one person that you talk about. Well, so originally that was Ellie. I thought it was, for some reason, I got it in my head yeah. that that was a girl until the fl- it, it comes out. And I'm like, oh, it was actually Callum. But I thought yeah. it was throughout the now book. Now that changed like two thirds of the way through. I thought, oh, I quite like him. And that epilogue wasn't in there until after my editor read it and said, I think I need them to be together. I think I just Aww. need it. <laughs> I know, because they weren't. It just left it in the in the car when they were like driving to the hospital. So the epilogue came later. So the game came later because that wasn't in the original ending either. But then I got to use that brilliant line of, do you want to play a game? It was a very good way of ending yeah. it. Yeah. I feel like I want to know what, happens in the game. <laughs> on the on the 11 mile game i'm sort of curious but part of me likes not knowing yeah i think you just imagine it yourself don't you you've got enough information on how to play and enough information of like what their characters are like that you can just put your foot through. right down put your foot right down <laughs> do it do those 11 miles in like two minutes <laughs> <laughs> So we're talking to you before the book has come out. Obviously, this won't come out until after the book is released. But are you thinking about what's coming next? Yeah, I'm writing book four at the moment. Um, I've I've got an awful lot on next year. So I feel like my nice, quiet year has come to an end. We've just moved house. So not particularly quiet. And next year is just going to be insane. So book four hasn't been announced yet. It'll probably be announced in like July. That's what they seem to do. And then it will be out the January after, so January 24. I've just had a chat about some books after that, even though nothing's official yet. Um, I've got something coming out in September with a different publisher, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet either, which is fun. (laughs) But that one's already written, so I'll stop worrying about that one now. And When Lose, Kill, Die, my second book, is coming out in the US next autumn. And I'm taking part in something else that will be out around Halloween. So I've got four books out next year and I've got at least three at the minute that I have to write, which is busy, busy, 
busy, busy. It's amazing. It's brilliant to be busy. And I'm so excited there's so much coming. But, you know, when you feel like it all comes at once, that's what this year has been. Yeah. And where can people go to support you and to hear about the book announcements, any events you've got coming up? Um, so I've got a website, which is just cynthiamurphy.co.uk. But I'm on all socials and I'm Cynthia Murphy YA on everything. I'm probably most active on Instagram or Twitter. And I put all my announcements and pictures of my dog on Instagram. <laughs> we will put that in our episode description so that people will be able to find you and follow you easily because you have so much exciting stuff coming up that we all need to know yeah. about <laughs> it. So, And who doesn't want cute dog pictures? Exactly. Like it's just a lowly account at this point. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we have had the best time talking to you. So thank you so much. And you've terrified me of candles and <laughs> leaving soft toys or anything lying around and mirrors and pictures and you've terrified and creepy buildings and yeah, mirrors. Yeah. People on the internet. <laughs> and this is from <laughs> just one, everyone. <laughs> this is from one book. So we haven't read your other books yet. So I don't know what they'll scare me, what I'll be scared of after that. A tiger so. bomb. <laughs> which is oddly specific but when you read the second one you'll you'll get the reference <laughs> well, thank you for ruining almost everything <laughs> I might just never leave my house again <laughs> just don't eat tiger balm I wasn't planning on it so <laughs> is, that, is that a thing no it's really poisonous which I was looking for like household items that kids in a boarding school could get hold of that were toxic and that is surprisingly toxic. So it's right here. Oh, yeah, don't eat it. Does it even say on it? Does it say on the label? Or is it in Thai? Have you got a Thai one? For external use only. But that doesn't really. That's that said about sense. a lot of things. And also, yeah. there's some people who are going to read that and go, is that a challenge? <laughs> um, it, well, it does say don't use it on delicate clothing. But oh, that's terrible. Yeah. So you, you could be an idiot and eat it. It could be. Might think it smells nice. I, I won't eat it. It's okay. You have okay. my word. <laughs> Good. Public service announcement. Don't eat Tiger Bomb. <laughs> Don't eat Tiger Bomb. <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us today. And again, special thanks to Cynthia. Follow us on Instagram at Demythifying the Podcast for more of our author episodes. And if you're liking what we're doing, please rate us and subscribe, as we always have new and exciting content coming your way. Check out our website at www.demythpod.co.uk and recommend us to a friend. She's been Lauren, I've been Charlotte, and today we've been turning pages with Cynthia Murphy.